Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily Digest. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. Here's what we talked about this week. We have an email here from Anonymous. Hey, Ben and Nathan. I really enjoy listening to both the daily and Thinking LSAT podcasts, exclamation point. I started studying at the beginning of the summer and have slowly been working my way up from a diagnostic of 151. I'm interested in staying in the Kansas City area and pursuing patent law. So the University of Kansas is my number one choice. I know they give out quite a few scholarships, but it's my understanding that the vast majority of them are conditional. That's not super surprising. I was wondering if you had heard of a situation where an applicant was able to negotiate their conditional full ride to a non-conditional full ride by leveraging other competitive offers, or if that's not really something that happens, I could apply. I could also apply to UMKC, Washburn, and MU, which are all law schools that turn out Kansas City-based lawyers. Thanks for your help. Here's some stats. Anonymous has a BS in chemistry, honors with a major GPA of 3.8, um, except LSAC GPA is more like 3.7, and then a master's in bioengineering with a GPA of 4.0. That doesn't really matter. Two years of industry experience as a chemist, currently in the mid-160s. I would think full ride to KU at a minimum. I mean, I'm looking at their 509 right now. Yeah. That law school is not a like super prestigious law school. Uh, their 75th percentile LSAT is 162. Surely you're going to beat that. You're a chemist. I mean, you had a you had a 3.8 in chemistry. You have a master's in bioengineering. The LSAT's not going to be hard for you. You're you're going to figure that out. And you're going to score, I would think, in the mid 160s easily high 160s even in the 170s well no diagnostic of 151 that's that's yeah diagnostic of 151 i mean you're blowing like horsepower wise you're way overqualified for university of kansas law so you should ask for that non-conditional full ride if you still intend to go there and not go if they don't give it to you i mean geez well but i mean okay so second page of their uh, 509 report, uh, sorry, third page of their 509 report is where we see the matrix for conditional scholarships. Mm. It has the last three academic years. So 2018, 2019, they gave 83 scholarships and reduced or eliminated 28 of them. That's almost a third. That's, or sorry, more than a third. That's worrisome. But then in 2019, 2020, they gave 79 scholarships, only reduced or eliminated four of them. Mm, So the conditions may not be too serious. Yeah. 2020, 2021, there were 69 conditional scholarships offered. Only 15 of those got reduced or eliminated. I don't think you need to probably worry about the conditional. In fact, what I would tell you is if they reduce or eliminate your scholarship, you just drop out of law school. What about these other schools? I mean, maybe they offer stipends. Maybe you should question your assumption that you want to stay in Kansas City. 
give the horsepower to go elsewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you if you've got family reasons and you, like you enjoy your life, right? If you enjoy your life in Kansas City, then you should probably just stay in Kansas City. I mean, I don't I, whatever. That's that's well, I'm going to push you. back against that because like you have a life, right? Part of life is going out and just like what else is out there? Maybe you should apply to other schools yeah. elsewhere even if you have no intention of going because when other schools start coming back with scholarships or maybe possibly even stipends you might start thinking well austin's not so bad or yeah chicago is not so bad yeah i want to check it out i've never been there i want to go there and who knows anyways keep it open all these other schools though i mean you're going to be like wildly overqualified at those schools that should be guaranteed slam dunk full ride yeah i would really think about what you want to do with your career in law you know University of Kansas might be awesome in Kansas City, but University of Kansas doesn't do shit outside of Kansas. Like you're not going to impress anybody anywhere with that law degree. It's just not a super prestigious law school. So um, if you're going there, you definitely need to be going for free. And I think that there probably are lots of better offers outside of Kansas that are going to let you go for free because you should. I think you're going to turn out to be an excellent applicant. We have an email here from Levi. Says, Ben and Nathan, I didn't start listening to your podcasts until early August. I was all caught up on episodes, but I wanted to hear some more. So I started listening to some episodes from June. I came across episode 258, an anonymous message concerning an individual's struggles with the reading comprehension. It really resonated with me because I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until last year. I often joke that I was going through school on a higher difficulty level. Not really. I know people have bigger problems than me. Okay, so acknowledging like that everybody has problems. Got it. I had a bit of advice for that listener or others combating ADHD that you'll probably hate. (laughs) Well, we'll see. I understand that you're against highlighting note-taking and summarizing during RC. I 100% agree that in most cases, for most people, they're pointless strategies that accomplish nothing but distract gullible students from addressing their real problem, understanding what the fuck they're reading. And that's the F-U-Q fuck, Ben. I've never seen that before. That makes it okay. Ah, okay. However, the big (laughs) obvious problem with ADHD is remaining engaged to fight that in reading comp. I do a very brief summary of each paragraph. I simply jot down its purpose and maybe where I think it's going. It shouldn't take more than five seconds. I can only speak from my personal experience, but I can say that it has really made a difference in my prep. Not the demon. Sorry, I'm a little poor and a little late. Wait, late. Hmm. It's uncommon for me to miss an RC question. I feel that it's primarily a result of forcing myself to read more purpose purposefully for my short term goal of summarizing the paragraph. I on I don't hate it, honestly. If it takes five seconds, I don't hate it. I do like uh, breaking down the goal, right? People who go into the passage with the intent of reading the passage are going to do worse than people who go in with the intent of reading the paragraph. I'd like people to read the sentence, but you know, my favorite thing about it is that they are maybe so jotting down its purpose and 
maybe where I think it's going. Mm. I like that you're thinking about where it's going. And if writing stuff down helps you to think about where it's going, then this is, you know, good enough that I might actually recommend it at some point. I mean, we don't we don't teach that stuff. I mean, and I don't know, like we'll have to again, you know, Brandon is now teaching classes for people with ADHD or classes for people with learning differences explicitly trying to find, you know, highlight these strategies that actually work for different people with different diagnoses. And um, it is about you and knowing your diagnosis and finding strategies that work for you. And it sounds like this is definitely working for you. And again, it takes five seconds and it gets you thinking about where the thing's going. I do it in my head. You do it on the page. Seems like you have found an accommodation that works for you. Do you agree, Ben? Yeah, I, I'm not opposed. I am worried about people listening to this and. Oh, of course. Start. <laughs> writing just way too much and Nathan said it's okay to do that like well all right I didn't say that you should do it I said I don't hate it if it helps serve this purpose narrowly focused I mean I'd want to look at what you're writing <laughs> cuz like if you write some bullshit where it's like no that's not what it said that's not what it did that's not the purpose of that paragraph no that is not where they were going with that then that would be bad. So I, I don't know. I just think people lean on that crutch so heavily that they, they then give themselves permission not to understand. Yep. Levi continues. You guys are incredible. I can't believe I wasted time and money on another program. Dot, dot, dot. Granted, I'm great at contrapositives now. Insert massive eye roll here. If my August LSAT doesn't get me the free school I want, I may have to down the Kool-Aid, subscribe to the demon and plan for next cycle. Keep up the good work. Best Levi. Good luck, Levi. Uh, I hope you're applying to law school with the very best LSAT you can possibly get. And if the August LSAT is not what you know is the best representation of the lawyer that you are, then I think you should Try again next cycle. I think you will thank us if you do. And you won't care at that time. <laughs> you won't give a shit at all. It'll be here before you know it. Yeah. I mean, instead of getting scholarship offers in two months, you're going to be getting scholarship offers in 14 months. Yeah. Whatever. I, I should. It's actually a lot closer than that, right? September. We got a bet going on our other podcast. Uh, I think the first scholarship of the year is coming in. On September 11th of this year, Ben thinks the first scholarship of the year is coming in on September 10th of this year. And uh, I guess that means Ben's got the under and I got the over. So we'll see who wins. Yep. Hopefully you're one of them, Levi. Well, I guess not. If you're well, waiting for the August LSAT, fly right away. And eh, maybe scores are coming <laughs> pretty quick. Yeah. We have an email here from Sarah. You want to read it? Absolutely. This post made me think of the hilarious episode where you guys taste tested Halo versus real ice cream. Wow, that's been a long time. That's old school thinking else that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Just had to send since this was a crossover here that I was not aware of. LOL, Sarah. Okay, so this is on Reddit on the R forward slash big law. What is it? What do they call it over there? Forum? Channel? Forum? Thread? Forum? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyways, 
interesting exit ops stories. Have you, any of you big law lawyers transitioned into something that isn't in-house forward slash lateraling to or starting another law firm? For example, any stories of going into investment role, using your experience to launch a startup, et cetera? Okay, so going in a different direction than the typical attorney. And then this comment was rated one of the best and it's by Flashcats. It says, the Halo top guys were ex-Big Law. They made a lot of money from the exit, although the real, they really fumbled the bag at the end. Could have IPO'd or flipped to PE for $1 billion plus, but had to sell in a semi-distressed sale. Poorly managed. Okay. We have no idea whether <laughs> okay. any of those facts are true, but it's consistent with I the Halo top true. ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's true. I mean, I can't believe anybody ever would buy that shit. It's it's so gross. It's so sad. It's yeah. just not it's just not ice cream. Um, I don't even think it's food. What is it made of? I don't know. You had me try it on the show and I, I didn't like it. Or you I took one bite of it and threw it away, I think. And then we had the other real ice cream waiting to remedy. And Ben can problems. eat, by the way. I want everyone to know that Ben can eat, specifically Ben can eat ice cream. And, <laughs> you know, if that would have been delicious ice cream, you would have actually eaten it. Did and I eat instead, a lot of ice cream in front of you or something? No, you just, well, you work out a lot and you're like oh, kind of yeah, big. Yeah. So like you have to eat a lot. You're just like, you got to fuel for the machine, man. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, but not, not Halo Top because that shit's trash. <laughs> Um, yeah. anyway, this is a definitely a crossover. Uh, I'm not sure this is going to be a very successful demon daily episode because this <laughs> is from thinking LSAT podcast from five years ago. But, uh, anyway, anything else you want to shit on halo? Top? I like how this is like typical of Reddit, huh? Where it's just the top comment is someone dunking on <laughs> guys that are like not even tangentially related at all. It's just like. I'm going to take a shot at them to say that Halo Top was poorly managed. <laughs> That's funny. Like, yeah. Great. Cool. But I like it though, because Halo Top sucks. All it right. does. This one is anonymous, it looks like. Okay. I took the official test in 2020 without studying, thinking that I would easily get 160. Okay. <laughs> I got a 142. I was shocked. <laughs> Are you shocked? No. This person sounds like they did nothing to prepare. Well, and 142 is like a totally normal starting score. It's the first time you've ever seen the test. Yep. Some people score 160. Not everybody, though. And a lot of people score 140 on their first test and whatever. That's not shocking. Okay. Cool. Got back to LSAT again starting this year in June. Took diagnostic from Khan. Got 147. Was recommended by a colleague to use 7Sage. Got frustrated frustrated with the with time limits okay i don't know what this person's referring to it was just too the much time on the test the time the, the time sections oh, okay i just started to take time and solve these questions without time limits i got a one uh you're taking tests without time limits untimed okay. tests i got a 151 a 153 152 146 to be clear those are pretty bad untimed scores i mean that you're you're still not taking the time to solve the questions. You're you're just not solving the questions if you're getting 150 or one 150 or 140 yeah, anything that means untimed. 
you're allowed you to, to take, take as much time as you time. want and you don't yeah. understand. Yeah. No, you should be able to get like 165 or 170 or higher untimed if you're actually really doing it. All you're doing, you're just not actually doing it. You're you're like multiple guessing instead of solving the questions. This correspondent continues. And then I started looking into YouTube for help. Found this channel. Use some tips like worlds and taking one question at a time. I got a I got 160 today untimed. There we go. Okay. Step in the right direction. Yep. I know it is not impressive that I got this untimed. Oh, glad you know that. But for me, this is a huge progress progress. Okay. Hopefully I make it into the 170 plus range untimed and really master all questions. And hopefully eventually I can solve these with time limits and get good score. A lot of typos here. My goal is 162. I'm giving myself about another 10 months to study. And these videos I think are helping me a lot. I think they are putting me into a right mindset or thought process. Good, well hopefully you then um, decide to take these tests timed and uh, stop doing these untimed tests. And check out the demon, dude. I mean, we've got like, yeah, we're giving away as much free stuff as we can give away on YouTube and our other podcasts, Thinking LSAT, I think you would find useful as well. Longer form discussions about law school admissions and uh, the LSAT. But the demon, I mean, if you really want to get serious about getting better at the LSAT, Go get yourself a free demon account. Come to my free classes. Um, like talk to us because there are serious things you're not understanding. I mean, even at a 160 untimed, there's like it's you're you're you are really not understanding what they're asking you. You're not understanding the question. You're not understanding the answer. You're not understanding the wrong answer that you keep picking. You just you're 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 not really getting it. And so you, you probably need some assistance to get you there. Um, but you're moving in the right direction by taking it slowly and carefully one yeah. question at a time. No, this is great. Keep going and keep learning how to study, not just as yep. you study. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Brandon Beaver. I'm a teacher and tutor here with The Demon, and I'm joined today by one of our master tutors, Sara Kamuni. Uh, we are here today to talk about some international transcript stuff from a mail-in question from a listener. How are you doing, Sara? I am doing great, thank you. I don't think I've ever been introduced as one of the master tutors before, so that was <laughs> that was great for the ego. Thank you very much. But no, it's really, it's really exciting to be here. And yeah, like for for reference, every everyone like a, the master tutor thing comes about when you've just been like here for a really long time. So time has flown by. I can't believe it's been like this is like I'm coming, I think actually this week is my second year anniversary with the demon. So that's um very exciting and a testament to how much fun it is um working at Elsa Demon. So yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. How are you doing? Absolutely. I'm doing great. It's great to have you here and it's great to cover this topic. Hopefully we can bring some value to one of our listeners today and one of our demon students. Uh, but we might as well go ahead and get into it. I'll uh, start by reading this uh, submission's questions. And I know, Sara, you being an international applicant, you had some experience in this area. So hopefully we can help this person out. Um, but they write, uh, hey, guys, my degree granting institution was abroad, meaning non-US based, non-Canada based. Um, and I finally got them to send my transcripts only to find out LSAC does a JD foreign CAS evaluation. CAS here is referring to the Credential Assembly Service. Uh, many 
current JD applicants and LSAT studiers will be familiar with CAS. It's how you get your transcripts submitted. And this listener is saying uh, that they do a JD foreign CAS evaluation, which does not contribute to an UGPA, an undergraduate GPA, kind of one of those LSAT jargony things we'll hear about out there. So their questions are, one, how would they use LSAT Demon's scholarship calculator if they don't have a UGPA? So I, I think we'll start there, Sara. You can kind of give your pointers on that particular point and then maybe tell a little bit of your experience with, with LSAC's international calculation. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think like, I, I mean, actually... Um, the hard answer is that it's very difficult as an international applicant who doesn't have that numerical GPA that you see in like the US context um, to get like, you know, good quality data about what your outcomes might be like. For that reason, it's so important to just put everything you have into the LSAT. It's not that you're trying to, you know, mitigate anything. Like there's nothing wrong with having a um, having an undergraduate degree that doesn't have a GPA. It just means that it's not going to, schools aren't treating it the same way. They're not using it as part of the calculations for their medians and so on. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just kind of, it's there, right? So I guess as, as background, if you don't have a, a numerical GPA, what ends up happening is you request your transcripts from your school. Um, it's usually that you have to ask, you know, have to fill out this transcript re request form and have them mail it. Um, allow a lot of time for this, to be honest, like way more than you think you need. Cause, um, I was doing it during COVID, which like the initial COVID lockdown situation, which obviously just made it that much more tricky, but yeah, like if I, my transcripts never changed, like I could have done it like several months earlier. I just didn't think to until I was really thinking about applying, but yeah, getting those transcripts in by mail or like however it's going to work out is um is a really important thing to do and once LSAC has that transcript what they're going to do is they're going to send it to I believe it's like a third party assessor that they use and that assessor is going to basically produce um almost like an annotation to your transcript to your grades mm -hmm. that puts them in I guess sort of interprets them I think is a fair way of saying it and give some context to how these grades are calculated, like the grading scale that's being used. And eventually at the end, it spits out a, um, I guess kind of like a, you could call it a rating maybe. So they have superior, above average, um, below average. And I, I think there might be a fourth one actually. That's really, um, but I'm trying to think. Just average, maybe? Maybe, maybe just average. That actually mm. might, that sounds about right. Um, but yeah, hopefully we would be like in the superior above average um, area. And you can kind of predict where it's going to come out as well, mm. just based on, uh, well, obviously, if you have like, for example, me, like I know how the British grading system works. Like I have a vague understanding of like what's an A in the US and like what's an A um, in the UK. Like I know that Americans like study abroad students who come to the UK are often horrified because like, they get, they get A's that are like 90 plus percentage points and it's like amazing. And then you come to the UK and they're getting like a 70, which is heartbreaking in the US, incredible in the UK. Like if you get a 70, like that's a job well done. Like if you get a 60, like you're doing really good. Like, and so it just, yeah, it just doesn't translate that well. Um, But if you have kind of an understanding of what means what in both contexts, then you can kind of guess where your, average, your um rating is going to come out. And then it's that rating that actually goes to the school. So like, how's it they can't like generate some type of number from like above average or superior. Like it just, it is what it is. It's kind of more just, well, 
I mean, I assume what they're looking at is, well, like if you got below average, for example, like did you, that's obviously something that they want to keep in mind when they're thinking about the admissions process, but there's not really much more they can do with that. So that's kind of what that looks like. Unfortunately, like that means that when you have a calculator, like the Demon Scholarship Calculator, like there's other resources out there as well that ask you to put plug your data in and then generate, you know, results based on what other people have experienced as the demon calculator does, like there just isn't that much data out there. And so that's one of the tricky things. So what I used to do um, is I would just focus on the LSAT, right? I was like, okay, like I can't, I can't create a number out of nowhere. Like maybe I can try and guess more or less like how my, I feel like I definitely plugged like a few, like 3.7s, like 3.75s, like into scholarship calculators just because I was, I, I, thought me i mean i was just guessing right like i was just trying to see like what people in that region were guessing in terms of scholarships more out of i guess curiosity than anything and yeah it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that i just needed to be getting my lsat score as high as possible just to make sure that i was going to get scholarship money um even if i couldn't quite predict what was going to happen because i just didn't have that that information it's not the best answer i think there's definitely i think it'd be really cool like if at the demon we could encourage folks who are using the demon i know we have a lot of international students out there like encourage folks to be submitting their information their knowledge um and i just to kind of add that feature to this the calculator i think that would be really really valuable but yeah it's a i guess i mean it's necessarily it's a smaller group of applicants there's less information out there so slightly more uncertainty but hey if you crush the lsat like you're going to be fine i think that's always the answer right like if you really just put everything into the lsat and get the best score that you can and give yourself enough time to do that then not having a numerical gpa well maybe like if a school is like really really for some reason focusing on the gpas that year and really is trying to force like every little like shred of gpa they can get then maybe it would affect you in some way but otherwise if you get the best lsat score you can do that's i mean that's going to probably set you up for at least some success, right? Yeah. And if nothing else, the better the LSAT score, regardless of who you are as an applicant, where you're coming from, you're going to be setting yourself up for your best admissions and scholarship opportunities regardless. So uh, yeah, sage, sage advice across the board. Um, that does that does bring up one kind of curious question, just as a domestic student. I'm curious. So how did that work for addenda for you? I mean, did you end up writing any GPA addendum uh, for any of your applications or anything like that? No, no, I didn't just because that's that like the document that is produced while doing the transcript evaluation kind of functions in the same way, right? Mm. Like for those instances where I got a grade in a class that was like in the low 60s, like the the grade or like the, the, the grading scale that they put next to that on the on the report that they produced, kind of put that in context. Like it's not like a 60 in the US sense, it's it's like a B, that's fine. So I didn't personally write any just because it was kind of doing that for me, if that makes sense. Like I didn't really need to do that. Like it was very obvious from my transcript that I was a, or from my transcript, from my application overall, that I was an international applicant. Like it just didn't, I didn't feel the need to provide any more context than the service that LSAC was producing was going to provide. So yeah, having said that, like there may be, Everybody's an individual if there's a compelling reason to write a GPA addendum or like a, I guess like a non-GPA addendum in this case, then by all means do it, but I didn't feel the need to. Yeah. And I, I have, I'm for context, I have a, like an undergraduate and a master's degree from the UK. So 
very international transcript heavy application on my part. Well, there you have it, folks. No, no necessarily, not necessarily any need to write a GPA addendum if you are, in fact, an international applicant. Interesting. So let's carry on with our, our students' questions here. They say also that I went to a university in the U.S. for like a year and a half out of high school, and I didn't do well. Okay. Uh, ended up leaving, and I've had that transcript sent to LSAC. Do I not have to worry about how badly I did at this university weighing against me if I don't actually have a UGPA? For a long time, I have been worried about how uh, shitty my UGPA will be with my grades from right out of high school, weighing down my later good grades received at my degree-granting institution. Um, I think probably a pretty reasonable worry, but what do you have to say about that, Sarah? Yeah, it's a tricky question because, I mean, we definitely encounter students frequently who maybe started out in one school and got grades at that school and then transferred or took a break and ended up being granted their degree, you know, separately. And then, but then there's still older grades are kind of pulling down the GPA. Like that's a situation we see quite a lot. I'm not quite sure actually how it would work in with the undergraduate degree coming from a different country without that GPA to be pulled down, if that makes sense. Like the, the closest thing I could think is I was super fortunate to spend a semester in the United States while I was in college. And I had to submit that even it was a semester long transcript. So not a year and a half, like this is a bit longer, but it, that semester long transcript, I did submit to LSAC and I got, kind. I mean, I got an academic, what's it called? An academic summary report or something like that, mm -hmm. that reflected those grades. I, as far as I know, they weren't factored into, um, like schools didn't take that semester GPA and then report that on their 509. Like I was still reported as somebody with like a, um, with a foreign GPA, a foreign undergraduate degree. But this this situation feels a little bit distinct, which makes me reluctant to really say anything like confidently. It's, I mean, my sense would be to give LSAC a call and ask, you know, ask for more clarity on that. It's an interesting issue. It's um, but it's one that I definitely can't speak on with any authority, I don't think. Um, I will say another thing, like maybe that's a situation to write a GPA addendum, right? Like if there's a situation where you went to college for a bit and things didn't go so well and then you performed really well on your um your future endeavors like in college and there's some separation between that that feels to me like a a potential compelling gpa addendum i don't know what you think brandon but that's that's my sense yeah i would agree i you know neither of us being uh, neither being uh, admissions officers nor are we lsac employees it's it's hard for us to say precisely what they're going to do there right um, it's interesting. Our student did mention that they've submitted these transcripts. Um, I know as a you know an upcoming cycle applicant that as soon as CAS got my stuff, uh, I knew right away, right there, what the calculation was. So I would imagine uh, if it's going to affect, you know, if it's going to have an impact on the application or equate to a reportable UGPA in some sense, uh, this student would probably have seen it there. However, uh, it's hard to say, right? If the degree-granting institution is completely separate, if the credits didn't account or uh, contribute at all to their undergraduate degree, not honestly not sure. And I don't know how much value we're going to bring them by pooling ignorance. It definitely sounds like a, a great reason to give them a call and find out you know, more specifically, what should I expect my record to look like? And I think that's going to put them in the driver's seat to know how to, to know how to best address it, if at all. 
you know, if there is a reason to write an addendum, um, LSAC is probably going to be able to at least key in on whether or not those grades are going to affect you. And if they do, perhaps that's a reason to, you know, put pen to paper and start explaining yourself a little bit. Um, but as always, you know, keep it brief, uh, stick to the facts. You're not there to write a sob story. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's excellent advice. And I guess the only other piece of advice I would add to that is if you're going to call LSAC, get on the phone at like 8.29 a.m. Because <laughs> you're on hold for a really long time. Um, yeah. Try and make sure you don't call them on school release day. Those are two pieces of advice for calling LSAC that usually hold pretty well. Um, there you go. Yeah, I completely agree, Brandon. That's, um, it's... And I think people, I mean, just as a general matter, right? Like, I don't think people should be afraid to pick up the phone and give LSAC a call when they come up against these things. I spent a long time on the phone with LSAC myself while I was applying to school. And it's it's definitely a time sink. But once, like I say, once you figure out the best time of day to call, like it can be the best way to just kind of get things cleared up and get rid of some of that uncertainty, which characterizes this entire application experience. But if we can find ways to mitigate it, like that's going to really help you in the long run, man. I feel like I'm still recovering from the law school application process, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of LSAC, just kind of as a, you know, a bookend here on our conversation today, um, how long did it take for your transcript process to go through with them? You mentioned it being at the height of COVID. You mentioned, you know, you had kind of a unique situation. So what should our, you know, our, our potential listeners who are international applicants, how much time do you think they should be allotting? Yeah, I think, well, I think the first thing to say is that, like my, I think my experience was definitely abnormal in that mm. I first requested my transcripts in about like July, I think is when I started working on them, which I don't think was a good idea. I should have done that, started doing that earlier. Um, but I didn't get my, one of my transcripts, what ended up happening was my school provided like a PDF version, which um, it, usually they have to mail a hard copy, but they just weren't producing them. It was a whole thing. And there was actually a problem with one of the transcripts that they sent me a piece of information that was required wasn't on it. And um, unfortunately I wasn't like notified about that. So there was a, there was a few weeks longer between me kind of figuring out um, that I've, I'd actually been waiting too long and I needed to follow up. So, I mean, that's on, that's on me as well. Right. Like I would definitely encourage um, international applicants to be, giving LSAC a call like every couple of weeks just to kind of see how things are ticking along. So yeah, it took like a, a couple of months, maybe like two or three months in the end for me. I don't think it should take that long. I, I think if it hasn't been, if you haven't had any notifications within a couple of weeks of knowing that the it was received, because you can see when it was received and then there's the processing, I would say give them a, yeah, a week, two weeks, and then be calling to follow up to make sure everything's okay. Because that was, yeah, um, it was, again, when I was going through it, it was, LSAC was responding to the the pandemic and like adjusting their processes and workflows at the same time institutions were doing the same thing like LSAC was still kind of formulating what would be a, an appropriate document to send versus what it, the things it couldn't accept so it, everybody was just kind of doing the best that they could in that scenario but yeah I would be recommending every week or a couple of weeks just be following up with the process to make sure that everything is ticking over how it should be because yeah, that was probably the biggest stress of my entire my entire law school application process. Actually, that's no, that's too much. That's too big of a statement. Probably the waiting was the hardest part after that. But yeah, definitely. Um, it's one of those things that I think you can, if you think about it early, you can knock it out really easily. And then if anything comes up, you can solve it more easily. But for me, I made the process very stressful for myself, I think. Awesome. Well, so it sounds like as in all things that you'll hear with the demon, uh, work on it early and then 
you know, do lawyer stuff and follow up, <laughs> get in there and follow up. And awesome. don't, don't be, don't be afraid to follow up. Like, don't like, this is, you know, this is really important for you, right? Like this is your law school application. Like you, you should definitely feel empowered to call people up and advocate for yourself and, um, get it over the line. Cause yeah, it's, it's really important. And it's, yeah, I feel like definitely that was like, don't, you're not bothering anyone, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If you're, if you're calling and checking in on things. Email daily at lsatdemon.com. If you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.